0: Welcome to Stuff You Should Know, from HowStuffWorks.com.
1: Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there's Jerry over there, and this is Stuff You Should Know. I object. To what? (laughs) I don't know. I don't think you object in front of the Supreme Court. I think they strike you down with lightning if you (laughs) talk out of turn.
0: Yeah, do they even... Uh, geez, I'd love to see one of those hearings. Yeah. Do they even call them hearings? Uh, Magic hour?
1: Right. <laughs> I don't know. I'm Yeah, they do call them hearings. I'm almost positive.
0: It's like shrouded in secrecy, though, right? You never... No. I, they don't I think, show that stuff on TV, do they? Like C-Span? No,
1: they... No. But they do have, like... Like, if you listen to Nina Totenberg, she's a great Supreme Court reporter. Yeah. And, um... It's all just – it's not televised, and I guess it is just traditional reporting – reporters that are allowed in there. Yeah. But it's not closed to the press or anything. it's not like a FISA court or anything it's not, like it's that. It's not the Star
0: Chamber. No, <laughs> no. Uh, it's interesting, though. It's, it is sort of – it does seem sort of secretive, though, because they, like, write these rulings. Sometimes they don't even read them. I saw that Clarence Thomas went seven years without speaking in court. What? Yeah. That's what it said. Where did you see that? In an article about Clarence Thomas. It said he'd, huh. He's one of the quietest justices. It said he went at 1.7 years without speaking in court, huh. but apparently writes a lot. Sure. In his, uh, um, rulings and, you know. His briefs. His briefs. Yeah. He writes in his briefs.
1: Yeah, I could see that because I guess when you're in court, you're arguing in front of the Supreme Court. And I think basically, and we'll do like a whole separate Supreme Court episode. Yeah. Right? You agree? Sure. Okay. Um, somebody mark that down. Right. Uh, but you are you're being peppered with questions from them, and then like you're you're trying to answer the questions to, to show why your side is right, right? Okay. You're no, arguing this case. Clarence Thomas. He right. Just right. Sits no, he goes just, mm-hmm. and intimidates yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, part of it is going back, thinking about it, and then writing your opinion on it. Yeah. yeah. Very weird job. It is. It's a pretty neat job too. Yeah. One of the big things about it is, it's in here in the United States. If you are on the Supreme Court, it's the highest court in the land. Right. Sure. I you're, guess we should say that you're there for life. Yeah. It's a it's a life appointment. Is the only, as far as I know, besides a, uh, you know, um, working at the DMV. Am I right? It's the only <laughs> for life appointment. Yeah. Uh, in the United States government.
0: Yeah, which seems like kind of crazy. But it also sort of makes sense because you want, you want a stable Supreme Court. Yeah,
1: you want them focusing on cases, not, you know, what's going on. Yeah, or, or whether they need or, to be sure. elected again or yeah.
0: campaign. that makes, it makes sense once you kind of put your head to it.
1: Plus, it also kind of dovetails with the way that they're viewed here in this country and I'm sure abroad too. Um, that they are this panel of highly learned legal scholars. Yeah. Just basically like, um, uh, I don't know. I'm sure there's something in Star
0: Wars that resembles this, you know? <laughs> oh, the Jedi Council. Oh man, I, I'm always afraid to say anything about Star Wars.
1: You know, the Jedi Council <laughs> that Jar Jar Binks was on.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure we won't hear anything about that. How could we? Right. Uh. So this was written by our old buddy Ed Grabianowski. Yes. Yeah, should we tell everybody the Grabster? Should we reveal the big reveal? Do we have an announcement?
1: I think so. All right. Go ahead. Oh, you're letting me do it? Yeah. So, everybody, you may not know this, because we tried to stretch out Grabster articles as much as we could, but they were starting to get thin. Yeah. Grabster wasn't really writing for the site any longer. Well, we said, enough of this. We need them. Yeah. We need them bad. So, we did a little wheeling, tad bit of dealing and Grabster is going to be writing again specifically topics that we are requesting. Yeah,
0: it's pretty great. Yeah. Like you and I were both so excited. Stoked I think is the word. Yeah. So anyway, we love Ed and uh big shout out to him and to Buffalo, New York. Yeah. And their wings and their football team. Sure, why not. Uh so anyway, Ed wrote this um and you know, it's a great article. Mhm. So, uh, like you said, I think we kind of dove into it really quickly, but um, if you're not in the United States, you might be saying, what's the Supreme Court? Although I think you probably know. Um, like you said, they are the highest court, and um, they're the third branch of our government. Yeah. Uh, and they are specifically, specifically there to kind of keep everyone in check and to say, like, you know, you may be the president, but you're not a, a dictator mm-hmm. because you still have to answer to the Supreme Court at the end of the day you can't run amok. Yeah. And we're going to we're going to make sure that we and this is ideally, we're going to make sure that we review everything in a in a legal way and we're going to get to ideology. You can't escape that, of course. Sure. But, you know, supreme court justices are supposed to rule on law and specifically these days at least how it relates to the constitution.
1: Yeah. And that's a it wasn't their initial, they weren't created to say, like, go defend the Constitution. Right. Uh, and they, the Supreme Court said, well, can we sew some patches or bedazzle our robes? And the, <laughs> the framer said, sure, we don't care. So they went out and defended the Constitution. It, it actually is very vague. The, the judicial branch or the Supreme Court is created in the Constitution, but all it says is that they are there to, um, they, that its power should shall, quote, extend to all cases in law and equity arising under this Constitution. That's it. It's yeah. the only thing it mentions about the Supreme Court and its power. So ever since the Constitution was written and ratified, the Supreme Court has kind of been this evolving thing. Or yeah. it was evolving for a while. Now it's pretty well set into into its role and in, in what it's meant to do. Yeah. What evolves and changes are, like you said, the ideology and the personalities. Sure. of the of the people sitting on the court.
0: Yeah, and their word is the final word. Um, there n- there is no court that can overturn or review even their decisions. And they review. They have about five thousand cases submitted every year, and can only review about a hundred to one hundred fifty. Which I thought was kind of a lot, actually.
1: 150? Sure. Sh- yeah, I, I was not expecting that.
0: Um, and they specifically try now, like we said, and focus on the constitution or, um, usually cases that have been, uh, appealed from lower federal courts. Mm-hmm. You know, they work their, their way up the food chain. Um, or, and I think they probably love these, uh, treason cases involving treason or disputes with other countries or ambassadors, kind of like, you know, the high stakes stuff. Sure.
1: Imagine being an ambassador and getting dragged in front of the Supreme Court for something you did. Being...
0: Or your kid did. Yeah, <laughs> probably. Those, those little snot-nosed brats. Ambassador
1: kids. <laughs> so like like I was saying, the, um, the Constitution is pretty vague about what the Supreme Court is meant to do. And it wasn't even out of the gate that they realized that they were supposed to really kind of examine laws in respect to the Constitution. That started in an 1803 case. Marbury versus Madison. Big one. And it was, uh, yeah, it was a landmark watershed case. Both both kinds. Um, and ironically, the court found that it didn't have the power to satisfy the petitions of the petitioners. Yeah. Uh, I think James Madison, or no, Stefan Marbury was suing James <laughs> Madison because James Madison had said, um, we'll give you these commissions. Yeah. And then he was taken out of office or he phased out of office and the commissions were forfeited. And the Supreme Court said, you know, we thought we had the power to do this, but it turns out we don't constitutionally. Right. So sorry. And it was the first time that the Supreme Court had ever examined something through the lens of the Constitution. And that set the precedent from then on.
0: Yeah. And they serve, uh well, they serve kind of however long they want to or if they die, obviously. Yeah. Um, but they average about 14 years. Um, or if they retire, they average uh, retirement age is 71. Um, but they can serve super long. I, I know that one justice served for 35 years. Yeah. Um, and you know, if you, if you nominate a young judge, yeah, which is kind of more of the trend these days when you're thinking politically, mm-hmm. like, you know, we want someone in there for our team. So pick a young one. Right. Uh, then they can have, Tremendous sway in how things go in this country.
1: Year after year after year after year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because the reason why they have so much sway is, <clears throat> like, the stuff that they're they're ruling on is constitutional in nature. And here in the United States, if it's if it's constitutional, if it's guaranteed by the Constitution, protected by the Constitution, mm-hmm. outlawed by the Constitution, whatever, however, the Supreme Court measures a law against the Constitution. Like you said, that's the law of the land. Yeah. From that point on, um, any law similar to, uh, what the Supreme Court just ruled on, it's immediately null and void. Like, it's done. Um, Ed uses a really good example in this. He said, like, if, if Maine bans anti war, Signs from right. people's front yards, and the Supreme Court rules that that law is unconstitutional. Well, if Rhode Island has a similar law or California has a similar law, those those laws are immediately illegal, I guess. Right. Um, and it's not like Rhode Island's going to bring their case and then California's going to try their case. Once they rule, it's done. It's been ruled on. That's by right. The, by the SC.
0: Yeah, and uh, there are nine justices. Um, Right now, there are eight, which we're going to get into. And uh, obviously, having an odd number means you can break a tie. So it's um, with eight, you can have a tie. Mm-hmm. And when you do have a tie, they've actually thought about this, believe it or not, they arm wrestle. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I'm kidding, of course. Yeah, They don't arm wrestle. But um, what happens is the lower court decision is what's called passively upheld, which means that for that case only, it's upheld, but it's not... Like the Supreme Court didn't rule on it and it doesn't create that, that nationwide legal precedent forever and ever. Yeah. It's passive aggressive. And someone could, you know, once they get that ninth person, they could bring up a similar case, not Mm -hmm. the same one, but a similar one if they want to, like, have that precedent set. Right.
1: And the Supreme Court can be like, let's try it again. Yeah. But yeah, if you, for a, uh, a case to be decided definitively, all you need is a simple majority, five to four. And a lot of cases these days in the United States are, have, have like five to four decisions. Oh yeah. Um, which is the fact that that's a pattern and that it's a routine really kind of shows you how just close to the center that, that uh, ideologically the, the bench is. Yeah. And, um, that all it would take was, you know, one or two votes that you can really rely on one way or the other. It's going to be super liberal or it'll be super conservative.
0: Yeah, and these days it's, um, I mean, sometimes you'll get surprises on yeah. Ide- ideology. Yeah. Like, oh, we thought this person would vote this way or that way, but generally, you've got kind of the four on the left, the four on the right, or you know, you did before Scalia died, and um, I think Kennedy is sort of the the swing vote, right? Yeah. Generally speaking, of course.
1: Right. It used to be Sandra Day O'Connor. Right. But when when they say, oh, we we're surprised, we thought they were going to vote this way. That's putting it about as mildly as you can.
0: What, surprise? Yeah, yeah. Outrage?
1: Oh, I I wasn't (laughs) expecting that. Fiddle DD.
0: Yeah, and I looked up some of the, I mean, we'll get to this later, but some of the appointees um, throughout history have been made by, like, a conservative appoints a conservative, and then they might grow a little more liberal over time or the other way around. And they're always, like, they're so upset. Right. Like, you know, I thought this is what we were getting. But to me, that's... How it should be, you know, like that means probably that that judge is deciding cases based on merit. Right. And not like I'm just dug in and entrenched in one ideology. Yes,
1: which is exactly what you want from a Supreme Court justice.
0: Should we take a break? Yeah, let's take a break. All right, we're talking about appointments, so uh, we'll get to that right after this. (laughs)
1: Alright, how's this work? Appointing? Yeah. So remember the constitution just went their Supreme Court, do it. I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> right. I'm going to take a nap. Um so appoint appointments is it's all just made up, right? There's no qualifications, uh there's no requirements. You, you or I could be nominated to be on the Supreme Court.
0: Yeah. Te- technically, you're totally
1: if, right. If a president was like, I want to figure out the fastest way to ruin my political career. Right. I've got it. <laughs> Josh and Chuck. That's, as that's, one. That'd be a good way to do it. Because again, here in this country, people treat Supreme Court nominations like a religion. Yeah. It's a big, big deal. Not even to like get someone through the process just to nominate somebody yeah. can bring so much blowback from your party, from the voters, from the opposing party, from everybody that you really want to think it through. It's not a haphazard thing. But as as far as the, starting the whole thing off, you have a list of qualified candidates. Uh-huh. I think every single Supreme Court justice in history has been a lawyer at least. Correct. But lately, almost all of them, the only person on the Supreme Court now who isn't a judge – is Elena Kagan, um, but the trend is is most of them are federal judges
0: who are called up to the bigs. Yeah, and a lot of them have even served as clerks uh, mm-hmm. on the Supreme Court. Right. Um, so what they're looking for with all that is experience. Yeah, and and for the last 150 years, not only have they been attorneys, but they've they didn't go to you know the the strip mall. Although, was it O'Connor? Well, she didn't go to a strip mall law school, but she was a strip mall lawyer, I think.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: At first. Yeah. But they have all graduated from like an accredited, <laughs> legit university. Yeah.
1: Like Not like Dr. Nick who graduated from the Upstairs <laughs> Medical Clinic. Is that what it was called? <laughs> yeah. I think it was Tijuana Upstairs Medical <laughs> Clinic. Uh,
0: a lot of these um, justices before their Supreme Court uh, appointment have been involved in politics. Um, some of them have been governors. Some of them have been in Congress. There was even one former president, one Howard Taft. Howard Taft is actually a great story. He hated being president, hated it,
1: loved being a Supreme Court justice. I could see that. He sat on the bench, it groaned. Anyway, I'm home. <laughs> this is great. The bench groaned.
0: Yeah. I know that for a little while there were people, there were, there were rumblings that uh Obama might be in line for a Supreme Court appointment. Wow. Had the election gone a different way. Yeah. Which would have been. Uh, I could see that. I could too, but um, you know. Obviously, that's not going to happen.
1: No, I don't see Trump <laughs> appointing Obama.
0: No. All right. So once this nomination goes through, um, and you know, the president, it used to be like a very, I don't know about solitary. Probably they're a little close circle, but now, like you said, they get a list and that, that's culled from a group of very smart people right. that are, um, trying to firmly entrench their own ideologies. Sure. Basically. Yeah. So they're gonna choose from that list, uh the candidate um and nominate them officially and the Senate then will hold the hearings and just recently, you know, we've seen this going on. You know, this is happening right now with uh Gorsuch.
1: Yeah. And the whole thing would have started with Gorsuch getting a phone call from the pres saying, uh, hey, I want you to want me <laughs> on the Supreme Court. Yeah. And uh Gorsuch was like, I don't I don't know what you're saying. He's like you're gonna be on the Supreme Court and hung up right and that was it and then uh, yeah the name gets released to the press and the Senate says alright let's get busy let's get to work and um, this whole hive, beehive of activity just starts kicking up around this one poor sap yeah. who accepted the nomination and now has everyone from the Justice Department to congressional aides putting on latex gloves and going right up their rectum to try to <laughs> see what they can find in this person's past.
0: Yeah, and not only what they can find in their past, but really grilling them um on maybe where he or she might lie. Ideologically, like right. how, how would you rule in this case uh, that it has happened? How right. would you feel about this case? Right. And I was watching um, a news network the other day talking about how Gorsuch did such a masterful job of like dodging, deflecting it. Yeah, about like not going on record with with how they lean. Right. Um. That and that's tradition. It's
1: well, yeah. Custom.
0: Apparently they they. The, like the one thing that you're supposed to do up there is not give anything away. No, because it's if, just a big dance.
1: And if they say, yeah, Joe Biden back in uh, I think the 80s called it a kabuki dance um, <laughs> nice. and Elena Kagan called it a vapid and hollow charade uh-huh. because the senators are trying to ping you down one way or another uh-huh. on your views on gun control, abortion, right. all of these hot button issues that the Supreme Court has either ruled on, may rule on in the future, may overturn at some point, um, that, that really split the country ideologically. And the point of these Senate hearings is basically for the the, the nominee to sit there and not give up anything. Because if they did do that, yeah. then they would have to recuse themselves from that case for having gone on the public record of stating their position.
0: Well, yeah, and it's the opposition's party's job to sit there and sigh and rub their temples and say, well, it just seems like you don't want to go on record for anything. Right. And they never get to respond, duh. Yeah. It's a Senate hearing right. for Supreme Court justice this is yeah. what always happens.
1: It's really funny that that they play that up, that like it's the senators weird. act like they just can't believe what's going <laughs> on, even though this has been happening for decades now. Yeah.
0: It's just a big, I don't know about a charade, but I think part of it is Part of it is to see how well they can hold up to the grilling too. Probably. I think
1: that's part of it as well. But the 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 group that probably plays the biggest role in 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 kind of rooting out what the nominees' politics are yeah. are the aides in the Justice Department and whatever they leak to the media, right? Because. Um, You're not gonna, you wouldn't find anything out about, say, like Gorsuch from those two days of hearings. Right. No one found anything out about him. If that's all you know about that guy was those two days of hearings, you didn't read anything else about it. Uh huh. You'd have no idea what his positions were. You'd just be like, that guy's got one of the better haircuts I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) That's all you would get from it. Yeah. But the media tends to report on it and they kind of fulfill the role that, um, that, that the Senate fails at every single time. And it'll be things like, um, Harriet Myers was, was, um, was nominated by George W. Bush. And, um, it, he just got immediate blowback for it. It was a terrible nomination. Yeah. But one of the things somebody found was that she had contributed some money back in 1988, like a good, 15 something years before Uh to Al Gore's presidential campaign. Like they find like little stuff like that and they try to put it all together to create a picture so that the senators can ask them about stuff or whatever or the media can can paint a picture one way or another uh, and everyone can try to divine how they're going to rule.
0: Now did Harriet Myers actually go through the Senate hearings? Or did she she withdraw? She withdrew. Well, that, that's what will happen a lot of times. If there is a skeleton in their closet, mm-hmm. sometimes they want to accept the nomination. Not even for that reason. Sometimes they won't accept the nomination because they're like, no, nah, man, I know it. I don't want to go through all that. I, I'm fine just being on my federal circuit here. Right. Um, but sometimes they'll withdraw if they know that they won't make it through that and they don't want that drug out in public. And sometimes the um, the president will withdraw that nomination to avoid that kind of embarrassment too. Right. Um like, Clarence Thomas, I don't know how they missed that or if they did, you know, he famously uh, allegedly sexually harassed Anita Hill. Right. And I don't know if they that didn't come to light until the hearings or if... That's what my guess was. Really?
1: I think they they started the hearings and they were still doing investigations and they oh, hadn't okay. gotten to Anita Hill yet. He would I have not be made wrong, it today,
0: that's... I don't think, in today's climate.
1: No, that was, that was nuts. Um, but the, what's ironic about it is that he wouldn't make it in today's climate with our awareness and understanding of sexual harassment, but those hearings, his his um, Supreme Court um, confirmation hearings were what exposed the world to sexual harassment yeah. and the concept of it that we understand today it is rooted in that moment, in those three days yeah. where Anita Hill stood up and was like, this is messed up and I'm going to share it. Um, And, and Clarence Thomas famously called the whole thing a high tech lynching. Yeah. And then after all this, so he was about to be voted on. There was debate in the Senate, which we'll get to this process in a second. They sent, after this came to light, they sent it back to the committee hearings. Yeah. So he took a huge step backward in the confirmation process, had to go through three days of Anita Hill's testimony. And then after that, the Senate still said, all right, cool. We'll, we'll confirm you.
0: Yeah. And he was so upset. He said, you know, I'm not going to talk for seven years. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'll show you. So, um, by and large though, the, the vast majority of, uh, appointee, um, submissions, what would you call them? Nominations <laughs> right. are appointed.
1: Right. Oh, I think it's something like there have been 161 nominations. And 124 have been confirmed. Right. I think there's only been 36 rejections, and so the rest are withdrawals. Withdrawals. Uh huh. Um, or there's one very recent one that I think is the first in history: um, Obama's nomination of Merrick Garland uh, yeah. that just didn't even get heard. Yeah. Um, which is very much a, an unusual uh, step that was taken in the process.
0: Yeah. I mean, this just happened. Everyone saw it happen. Um, Obama was in his last year mm-hmm. of his presidency. And so uh, Republican senators basically said, not only are we not going to vote on it, we're not going to hold hearings. Some of them refused to even talk to the guy. Mm-hmm. They just basically took their ball and went home. Right. So we're not going to do anything. Yeah. Which received a lot of blowback <laughs> from people already frustrated with the, um, the notion that maybe these people work for them and they should do their jobs uh-huh. and that is one of their jobs is to at least have hearings right and take a vote and um it, they everyone dug in and um he went without hearings went without a vote yeah and uh i don't know what he's doing now i guess he just kept his regular job
1: oh yeah i'm sure i don't think you like lose your job and no, like, no, no. You, like quit and move and everything right go on the trail no. um no he uh I, yeah, I, I. But I think the the more to the point, like you it's got to affect your reputation. You know what I'm saying? Like even if it had, it was no fault of his own, it's still like a black mark on his
0: history, at least. Well, it was a big deal because this was. Um, it's kind of tough to pin down someone's uh, political ideology as a judge. They have a few ways of doing it. There's something called the Martin Quinn score for Supreme Court justices, and they compare how they vote relative to one another. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then there's something else called the Judicial common Space Score, which measures their ideology based on the ideology of their appointing presidents mm-hmm. and home state senators. And then uh, I think this is was from Washington Post. I read an article that they're basically trying to suss out how liberal is Garland.
1: Right. He was super centrist, wasn't he?
0: Well, they said in the end that they looked at all those scores, and then they did one more where uh, they basically looked at, the law clerks that they hired, uh-huh. because generally you're going to hire clerks that agree with you and clerks who want over to you. work for judges who they whom they agree with, right? Um, and they looked at what their the clerks' political donations were. They were. So what's this guy's score? They said that he was center left in the end. Sure, would have definitely swung the court more to the left. Uh. but at the time, you know, it was sort of a showdown. It was like for the Republicans, they're like, do we? Do we let Garland go through because he's sort of center left? Mm-hmm. Or do we take a chance that Hillary wins this election and goes whole hog left mm-hmm. to someone that's way more liberal? Right. Uh, and in the end, they dug in and, uh, well, everyone knows what happened. Uh,
1: yeah. And I read both sides of this. Like, obviously, the liberals and the, the Democrats were just going crazy over it. They're like, this is the audacity of not doing this. Right. Yeah. Um, that that. Because the Republicans were saying, well, it's an election year, so we don't want to put a Supreme Court nominee on the Supreme Court for life during an election year, right? right. And uh, the the Democrats said, you're crazy. There's been like eight or nine Supreme Court justices who were confirmed on an election year. That's a terrible argument. But apparently that was when the um, the – I think the government wasn't split – Right? There wasn't like the executive and Congress were in the same party. The same party was in power for like seven or eight of those confirmations to have gone through. Okay. So both sides actually had legitimate arguments, but right. it definitely seemed like a dereliction of duty from the outside looking in.
0: Well, what it did too was it set up um, the Gorsuch uh, situation now, which is Democrats are delaying the vote, and I think by the time this comes out, they will have voted. I
1: would guess so, because usually, I I think McConnell said by April second he'd be confirmed. Was his estimate?
0: Yeah. Well, they delayed it one more week a couple of days ago. Oh, okay. But um, regardless, it's it's you know imminent if it hasn't just happened. Mm -hmm. And so they set up the situation now where Democrats are dug in and they're like, don't expect any votes from us to confirm. Yeah. And then the Republicans are saying, well, if you do that though. We don't need a simple. We just need a simple majority. We can use what's called the nuclear option,
1: which we talked about in the filibusters episode, I think.
0: Yeah. So the Democrats would filibuster, then they would use the nuclear option, which means they can kind of rewrite the rules and confirm with a simple majority. And then there's a fear that if that happens, that will just be the norm going forward.
1: Yeah, that they'll use that for everything. And and on, on the one hand, it will definitely be the Democrats' fault because they used the nuclear option first, right? But they they used it for. A bunch of Obama appointees back in, I think, 2013 or 15. And, um, they, they said specifically this does not apply to Supreme Court nominees. Right. Now the pendulum is swung the other way. The Republicans are in control. If they use the nuclear option for the Supreme Court nominees, that'll, that'll just be like, there'll be nothing off limits any longer. And yeah, they'll, the, it, it, there will be no filibuster power in the Senate any longer.
0: Yeah. It, it really underscores just how, ugly things have gotten you know yeah
1: it's pretty ugly
0: these days in washington it is
1: uh and and we should say we'll we'll take a break in a second chuck but we keep talking about the senate the house has nothing to do with this actually
0: is that why they're pouty
1: yeah a little (laughs) bit um it's strictly the president appoints and the senate holds committee hearings and then debate and then votes and then the person is either confirmed or rejected almost exclusively confirmed
0: right and if they are rejected, um, they can be submitted again, but it usually doesn't make sense to unless something big has happened that makes the president think that they can get confirmed. Right. Which happened, I think, with Andrew Jackson. Is that right? Yeah.
1: Um, in the 18... 1836. Yeah. He had a guy named Roger Caney, who I'd never heard of before, um, who he submitted. Guy got rejected. And then there were elections... That changed the complexion of the Senate. Yeah. That was much friendlier to Jackson. So he did it again.
0: Guy got, he confirmed. brought him in with a, like a baseball hat on. Yeah. Said, how about this guy? <laughs> instead. <laughs> Fake mustache.
1: <laughs> um, and George W. Bush did the same thing too, but he, his guy, John Roberts, didn't get yeah. rejected, but he nominated Roberts twice in the same month for two different seats. Oh, that's right. And I the second that. time he got confirmed. So we'll, we'll, um, there's a lot of, politicking that goes on behind this a lot of thought goes into it not surprisingly and we'll talk about all that stuff right after this So, Chuck, um, this is not, it, again, this isn't taken lightly. Um, it is a hollow and vapid charade and a kabuki dance, and, uh, it's ridiculous in a lot of ways, but it's, the end result is really, really important, and that is that you have a Supreme Court justice who's one of nine voices mm-hmm. that are, that, s- create the law of the land yeah. here in the United States and that they're on there for life. So everyone again takes it extremely seriously and there's a lot of things to be considered when a president is is even picking a nominee from that list that they have.
0: Yeah, the you know even though we said there are no rules for qualifications there's a long history that's kind of become accepted as qualifications, yeah. which we've talked about, an you know, attorney, generally a federal court judge. Um, so once that is kind of sussed out, uh, we talked about ideology a lot, and um, you're not going to find, as Ed points out, the perfect fit where someone agrees with everything that you agree with as sure. president. Yeah. Uh, but what you want is someone who, by and large, will side with your side.
1: Well, and what... what well, I mean,
0: let's a good be honest. fella. <laughs> yeah.
1: You know? Sure. He's like us. But again, it's not going to be a perfect fit.
0: Yeah, like but you also want someone who probably has a good chance of getting uh confirmed. That's a big that's a big point, right? So like that there's a lot of factors that
1: go into that selection, right? So yeah. obviously if you are a conservative president, especially like a deeply socially conservative president, you're going to try to find somebody who's a pretty socially conservative ideologue, right? Yeah. And that'll be your, your pick, but you may want to stop yourself and think about this first. Let's, let's, let's think about this. Who's in control of the Senate? Yeah. That's a big one. Sure. If it's the opposition party, well, then you may want to consider somebody who's, um, uh, maybe a little closer to the center because your person might get rejected. Mm -hmm. And if you're just an outside observer saying, well, who cares? It's, they'll, they'll get rejected. Pick somebody else. You, you said you have a list. Go to the next person, right? Right. There's a lot of political ramifications for this, right? So, if, if you are a president and you're picking a pretty radical nominee, um, it, it can make you look bad, especially if you're not that popular of a president.
0: Yeah, and it can also have a lot of bearing on, uh, midterm elections
1: mm-hmm.
0: and how the public uh, views the direction the country is going as a whole.
1: Yeah, because if the Senate goes along with your radical person and the public's not down with that person, that's going to be a uh, a negation on ba- on on the ballot. Like you're right. you're you're not going to look good at all because of this Supreme Court nominee pick.
0: Yeah, the the whoever um, just left, whatever whether it was a retiree or uh, in the case of Scalia, someone who just died mm-hmm. um, suddenly. Um, the outgoing justice is going to play a large part in, and again, depending on what party's in office, what, uh, party holds the Senate, uh, on who gets the replacement.
1: Can you, can you get somebody pushed through? And if you can't, it's not going to look very good on you as the president.
0: Yeah. And basically with Gorsuch, um, I looked him, him up as far as where he might sit or is predicted to sit. He's pretty right. Yeah, what I saw obviously he's pretty right but they said that he would right now at least you know this is from uh, all the the studying done from those different uh, methodologies that I talked about earlier mm-hmm. they said that he would sit second to the right uh, next to Thomas the silent Clarence Thomas right <laughs> who apparently is the furthest right at this point yeah um and then you know it goes all the way through down to uh, Sonia Sotomayor, who's Uh, the furthest to the left. Gotcha. And then uh, Mr. Kennedy in the middle. Uh Man, what a powerful dude he is. Yeah, really. To be the swing
1: vote. He he gets gift baskets all the time.
0: (laughs) Yeah, he probably- Muffin baskets. Yeah, he has muffins every morning. (laughs) 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 And, you know, depending on- And people forecast this like way in advance. I'm like, it's not just Supreme Court justices. It's appointing judges all throughout the system in the United States- Mm -hmm. Um, Republicans have had a, a a tactic for years now that's really paid off for them where they have really worked hard to appoint as many judges, conservative-leaning judges throughout the system mm-hmm. and staunchly tried to oppose any liberal appointments. And um, you get those lower courts. I mean, people don't pay a lot of attention a lot of times mm-hmm. to these lower court appointments, and it's made a big difference, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Over time, sure, if you've got – That many more bullets in the chamber.
1: Just in, as far as like conservative rulings?
0: Yeah, just all over the country, you know, if you have more of your people in place Mm. in lower courts, they're going to be more, uh, clerks that Mm. work for them that are conservative. And then eventually they rise up and you're probably going to have a better chance of getting a Supreme Court, uh, nominee appointed who is conservative. It's an incubator. Yeah. That's a good way to look at it. The farm system. Sure. They they probably love that uh, terminology. Yeah. Well, you
1: were saying Sotomayor is uh, farthest to the left and Thomas is farthest to the right. Right now, that's what they say. Yeah. And I think you were saying earlier, too, that, you know, depending on who's being replaced, that makes a decision on who's picked as well. True. Right? Yeah. Because if you're replacing a a far right seat with a far left nominee, you're going to get some serious, um, pushback from the right, or vice versa. Yeah.
0: And that's why this election, you know, that we just went through was so important, because there are some aging members of the Supreme Court, and, um, you know, if you get to a point like Nixon got to appoint four Supreme Court justices. Yeah, and they turned on him like a pack of jackals. Yeah, three of them did.
1: I'm sure that's, how, that's what Nixon thought. <laughs> um, yeah, that, that's and this is kind of a pretty good demonstration of how Supreme Court nominees... Uh, they're appointed or they're nominated by presidents, but they are in no way meant to be beholden to presidents. They should not be. It's it's they're not doing their job if they're ruling in, in line with what they think the president wants to hear.
0: Yeah. And I guess that's goes back to why they're in there for life. Like Mm -hmm. they probably do feel, I mean, they still have their ideologies, but they probably do feel like, all right, I'm in here. They can't take me out. Right. Um, there's probably some mechanism to take them out if they do something really bad. It's a it's impeachment. It's
1: the exact oh, okay. same process that uh, you would get rid of a president with, where the House impeaches the person, and then the Senate votes to convict or not, and then Badger. they're removed. It's only been threatened twice. Oh, One really? of them was a Nixon appointee. Oh,
0: really? <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Uh, but I was looking, like I said, at Garland, and the uh, I kind of got started digging into history, and um. In the modern era, Ant, uh, Antonin Scalia is rated as the number one most conservative justice in the modern era.
1: Is that right? That's what it said. See, because I have and Thomas I further right than him, and that Gorsuch would be even further right than Scalia. Yeah, I, I mean, didn't probably... create that. That's a that's a <laughs>
0: Wapo created. Well, I didn't create this either. Okay. So uh, this we have was
1: conflicting sources.
0: Well, this was Stanford. University in the University of Chicago, Northwestern and Harvard. All right. I'll, I'll defer to yours. Yeah. But it was based on, um, it it just depends on what they use. Let's just say they're both super conservative. Okay. But I mean, one of the things they looked at and they like to look at is campaign contributions either by, like I said, clerks or by them. Mm -hmm. And they said based on Gorsuch's, Gorsuch's Mm -hmm. campaign contributions, they said that he would be more conservative than 87% of all other federal judges.
1: Yeah. That's pretty conservative.
0: When, uh, Rehnquist was supposedly number two. and I, They don't have Thomas. They, where do they have? They have Thomas at number seven on my list. Wow. Uh, I don't know about that.
1: They have him on the furthest right right now. At least in the sitting justices.
0: Well, and then there's people, like I said, over time that might change a bit. Uh, John Paul Stevens was the guy that was in there for 35 years and apparently he became more liberal over time. Um, and then Burton was very conservative, but he ruled against segregation. Mm-hmm. It's like, you kind of never know. Uh, yeah. David Souter became, he was a Bush appointee, and uh-huh. I think he was one of those that, like, conservatives were really mad at. They were like, you're not nearly as conservative as we thought. <laughs> Souter! They would have never picked you.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you just can never tell. You can't tell, and the whole point is, is that makes a good justice. That's what you want. Yeah. You don't want to be able to look at them and be like, oh, this is how they're going to vote and be right every time. You want to be surprised because if you can just point to a Supreme Court justice and say this is how they're going to vote, they're doing a terrible job. They're voting ideologically, not on the merits of the case.
0: Yeah, it sounds funny to say that you want a Supreme Court justice like you never know what they're going to do. (laughs) And
1: unpredictable. Like
0: Clarence Thomas. He didn't speak for seven years. Who knew? (laughs) Right, I did not see that coming. Sandra he's Day O'Connor, a, she a, wrote a, a penny farthing to work every day. <laughs> right. He didn't know that.
1: Yeah. Judge Rehnquist had a huge heroin problem. <laughs> oh, you got anything else? Uh Yeah. One of the things that Harriet Myers was criticized for, the J- Harriet Myers nomination by George W. Bush, was that somebody had dug up that she had called George W. Bush cool at one point. Oh, really? And that was used against her. <laughs> Huh. Well, they were worried that she was, she would be beholden to him or feel right. be beholden to him. Because
0: he was so cool. Cool. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. Um, oh, actually, we didn't cover this. I think it's pretty interesting. Um, Arthur Goldberg, appointment of John F. Kennedy. Mm-hmm. He was, uh, Jewish and he took his oath on the Hebrew Bible and on the traditional official court Bible, which is a Christian Bible. And he signed that because everyone has signed it and he said, you know, I just want to. I'm not going to make a big deal out of this, even though I'm Jewish. I'll sign the Christian Bible just to kind of maintain that continuity. Right. But when he was, um, he said it was really neat when he was sitting at his bench for the first time, he, uh, he opened up the drawer and there was a, a copy of the Constitution. Mm-hmm. He, co- he said it was a dog-eared copy of the Constitution that actually belonged and it was signed by who? Uh, Oliver Wendell Holmes. Pretty neat. Yeah. It was just in that drawer.
1: Right. He calls him that old Yankee from Olympus. No idea what that means, <laughs> but either. it meant something to Goldberg, I'll tell you that. He said he was looking for like a notepad. Yeah. And there it was. Yeah. He, he thought that was pretty awesome. Well, I do too. It is pretty awesome. And if you think Supreme Court nominations are awesome, you should go look them up. There's plenty of stuff out there. It's pretty fun to watch. Uh, if you go back through old articles, every nomination... Cycle or whatever pattern it follows um, has people griping about how you can't tell anything about this nominee. Yeah. And they never say, well, it's like that for all nominees. Right. Uh, anyway, take a trip down memory lane. You'll amuse yourself. <laughs> you can also type in uh, the word Supreme Court in the search bar at How Stuff Works. And since I said su- Supreme Court, it's time for listener mail.
0: I'm going to call this Georgia Connection the Trail of Tears. Hey guys, I enjoyed the episodes on Trail of Tears, uh, which I literally just finished. I live in Calhoun, Georgia, which is home to the new Etchota.
1: Etchota. She
0: says, yeah, she says Echeta. Etche,
1: oh, even, it's even serious, sir.
0: And I think that's right. Uh, historic site. It is home to the print shop where the first English language Cherokee newspaper was printed. The home of Samuel Wosta, among other things. It's a beautiful and fascinating place. I think all uh, North Georgia kids have gone on a field trip there at least once. There are also road signs I drive past every time I drive to and from my mother's house, indicating that I am actually driving where the Cherokee marched from their homes. Very sobering. The home of Chief Van is also nearby. I didn't know that.
1: I'm going to have to go see that stuff. Yeah, because it's not too far.
0: Uh, I enjoy your history episodes because the way you explain history in layman's terms and make it interesting to someone like me who couldn't quite stay awake in history class in school... Uh, I believe learning about history is important to help prevent society from repeating big, shameful, costly mistakes. Uh, thanks for the work you do and all the stuff we should know. Have a blessed day. That is from Tiffany Waits. And, Tiffany, if you don't listen to stuff you miss in history class from our colleagues Tracy and Holly, you should check that out, too. For sure. It's great. Sounds like it'd be right up our
1: alley. Who was it? Tiffany Waits. Thanks a lot, Tiffany. We appreciate you writing in, and if you want to be like her and get in touch with us to tell us some cool stuff, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast or Josh Um Clark. You can hang out with us on Facebook.com slash Charles W. Chuck Bryant or Stuff You Should Know. You can send us an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com and as always, join us at our home on the web StuffYouShouldKnow.com